Welcome to the Nationals podcast from the offices of the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Andy Scott and I'm joined by Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National Business Editor. Today we're going to be talking about the NBAD and FGB merger and we're also going to be looking at Brexit and what's coming for the next six months. I'd also like to say happy Eid to all our listeners. Anyway, Mustafa, you've been away for a couple of weeks. What do you think about this huge merger between the banks making the biggest bank in the UAE? It's very exciting. I mean, certainly it's, it's, it's come in a month when we've also had another uh, different type of merger with IPIC and Mubadla as well. But it seems the, the, the landscape is being fundamentally altered uh, in Abu Dhabi, the wider UAE and probably the region. Uh, it won't be the last uh, of the deals that we'll see this year. And also, when you look at two banks like National Bank of Abu Dhabi and FGB, considered to be two of the biggest in the country, when they get together, there is the potential for them to become a kind of champion, if you like. And with everything that's going on amid lower oil prices, we do expect that diversification efforts will be ramped up, not just here, but in Saudi Arabia and elsewhere. And perhaps a big thought uh, that has emerged has been to help that. Perhaps we need a really, really big bank to help us going forward. Um, not only does that boost the financial services sector, which is an important part of any diversification strategy, but it will underpin any of the other deals and any of the other moves uh, that want to be made in Abu Dhabi and the wider UAE in terms of, of helping that going forward. So, you know, they probably looked at that and said, we need a champion. And perhaps, you know, that's that's what will happen, even if that wasn't the, the driving force for this. That could be the result. OK, well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Mubadala IPIC merger as well, because this seems to be, I mean, you know, these are two huge mergers in two weeks. It's like waiting for a bus. You don't see one for months and then two come along at once. Was, is there a, a greater pressure here? Are we still talking about the, the low oil price and, uh, and, and the economic growth pressing down on the UAE. Well, we, we've been talking about that for some time and you can't discount it as being a big you know, factor in any, any kind of decision that business is taking. But these are two very different deals with probably very different rationales behind them. In any merger, you always try and achieve efficiencies and cost savings. So let's leave that to one side. But as I said, FGB and NBAD, well-known entities going, you know, in terms of, you know, the wider economy and people will be asking what kind of, you know, bank will we have at the end of it? Um, you know, how strong will it be? You know, how 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 much uh, business will it do outside of the UAE? You know, these are questions very specific to a bank. However, when you look at IPIC and Mubadla, it's a great opportunity to ask some of the questions that perhaps for since the financial crisis, really, we haven't been able to ask. What is the rationale for some of these funds? Compare them to some of their peers, say Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. You know where they are in the, in the investment horizon, long term, long term, long term. That's what they do. But when it comes to Mubadla and IPIC, they're very different. IPIC's had a focus on energy and energy-related assets. Mubadla has been much more diversified and focused on job creation, particularly for Emiratis, and bringing in industries that are going to help uh, with that vision. But now we're seeing a very different landscape. Mubadla is not the same company it was seven, eight years ago. IPIC certainly isn't. And you also factor in the, f the, the lower oil price on the IPIC side, and their portfolio is not looking quite as healthy as it once was. So this process will be an opportunity to ask the right questions. What are we? What are we trying to do? And perhaps set the scene for the next few years. But is it Mubadala who's going to be the daddy now? <laughs> you know, mergers are difficult. I mean, from what I've read, 
most mergers end in failure. That's the truth. Is that and right? Around the world, yeah. Most mergers do not achieve what they set out to achieve. Um, you th- okay, I'll give you a big example. Time Warner AOL. Well, yes, yes. Right? So the world's biggest merger at the time. Massive. And that was a categorical failure. That doesn't mean that these are going to be a failure. But to kind of make presumptions now before the process is completed would be a mistake. Although I do think there's a lot of pharmaceutical industries that have come to merge together and become a huge global players. Well, cult- culture is a big factor. You, and maybe because we're in a, a more nascent stage of our economy that maybe cultures are, um, are similar from one institutional company to the next, and that's why they're easier to, to be absorbed. Um, you, we look at some of the big mergers that have happened in the UAE over the last few years. We had the aluminium merger, um, Imal and Dubai, that seems to be going well. We've had the Emirates, MB, Emirates International National Bank of Dubai, which became Emirates MBD. You know, I think people forget it was even two banks now because it seems so smooth. So it, were, it has worked here. Um, but, you know, I'm talk- giving you a global benchmark that they don't always work. And so to say that one company will be the daddy, one company won't be, uh, we, may, we may see a very different institution by the time this is over. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and also a huge story which happened in the, the last week, of course, was Brexit. Uh, Britain voting to leave the European Union. We've been talking about mergers. This is the biggest demerger I think the, the globe's seen in a long time. Um, and it's not who's the daddy. It looks as though we're going to have a new mummy in front of the UK. What do you think this, how do you think this might play out for the UAE? Well, the pound is tracing new lows as we speak. So that's going to impact, obviously, expats here, but a lot of investors that look at UK property, UK stock markets. So already portfolios are taking a bit of a beating. There will be a lot of uncertainty. And the, the, will there be contagion is probably what people are asking. Will this spread to other European markets, the Netherlands, Italy, which has some problems with their banks there? And what does that mean for investors based here? But certainly what it does mean is that Things are, again, it's hard to make assumptions and to presume anything because we've never really been here before. And Do you not think, though, that I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this uncertainty is it, it, money goes where it's safe. Uncertainty is what a country fights against. The UK seems to have embraced uncertainty and is now putting uh, Europe. A, a, a lot closer to um, a, a financial meltdown. Uh, it's definitely going to have uh, an impact on property funds. We, who, a lot of people have actually locked their property funds already. Standard Chartered did. Uh, Singapore Bank did. I, am, I'm, I, I just wonder whether this might have a far more serious repercussion rather than just people who are invested there. I don't want to say it, it will issue in another global financial crisis, but it definitely moves us towards a more negative area than a more positive area it's been a volatile year 2016 has seen swings in every single market but we don't know how this is going to play out because like i said we've never been here before what could the net result be of you know a a breakdown of you know the european union ultimately and you know the uk going on its own we 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 can't we can't particularly predict that at the moment forecast it or anything everyone's trying their best but no one can really say there could be potentially a boost for the UAE and the wider region. Could it help increase oil prices? You don't know. I mean, you know, I think we have to wait and see. The political situation needs to be resolved first and foremost in the UK. They have to then actually leave the European Union, which might take several years. 
But what we can be sure about is the volatility is going to continue as much as it has for the last six months. So you talk about certainty and investors wanting to put their money where it's safe. Where is safe right now? Where? That's true. The That's U- true. In, the, in the United States, we ex- everyone expected rate rises. There's only been one. We don't know if there'll be another one before the end of the year. The, the Federal Reserve is worried about you know, uh, contagion spreading from Brexit to other parts of the global economy and that impacting the US. That's another big story going into the rest of the year. Um, what is the Federal Reserve going to do? How is that going to impact the rest of us? You've got Brexit. We've got what's going to happen with oil going forward. We have, um, you know, potential mergers and acquisitions, not just in the UAE and this region, but the, the wider world as well. Um, everybody's looking for growth and they're looking for ways to, to find it that aren't necessarily organic. So we've got a lot of uncertainty over the next few months. Once that becomes the new normal, then maybe perhaps people will think, why don't we just keep our money at home? Maybe we'll see some investment in this region that we've, we've really needed and hasn't been coming because people have been so scared about the oil price. So we don't know. These events tend to have consequences far beyond our imagination, certainly beyond my imagination, which is limited. Um, and certainly we'll have to see where do we stand six months, 12 months from now. Okay, well, I think we've talked about too, too gloomy stuff too much probably. So let's talk about a bit of sunshine. We have Leanne Graves with us, our renewables correspondent, because Dubai, I think about three months ago, or no, two months ago probably, announced the world's cheapest solar uh, rates. And it seems though Abu Dhabi may be... I don't know, challenging for that position. Is that right, Leanne? Hi, Andy. Yes, it's a really exciting time to be in the solar industry in the UAE. Uh, last week, we saw Abu Dhabi-based Mazdar coming in with FRV, which is owned by Saudi company Abdul Latif Jamil, uh, bidding for 800 megawatts at 2.99 US cents. It is now a world record. And uh, a lot of people are expecting the same thing to happen in Abu Dhabi. So does that mean my DEWA bill might be going down? No, and it's really hard to explain why. Okay, all right. So, so, uh, yeah, so uh, it, it becomes a fairly uh, a mathematical equation, does it? It does, it does. And uh, I'm sure that DEWA is not going to release how that is uh, I see. Okay, actually okay. calculated. But can you explain then that so uh, Dubai sets a new world record. Abu Dhabi, we assume, is following. Is that correct? Well, it's it's expected. But one thing to remember is that what's happening in the UAE solar sector should not necessarily be considered a worldwide benchmark because there are a lot of different uh, things at play here, such as the cost of land, um, what type of land, also the credit rating. So what you see in the UAE, you're not going to see in places like Egypt and Jordan that also have a burgeoning solar sector. I see. But uh, my, my, my wider point was that these uh, tariffs being announced are possibly a positioning to move into, let me show, should we say, more neighboring uh, kingdoms? Right. So you have Saudi Arabia and they've already had like two solar projects that are currently being tendered for right now. Um, So a lot of people will be positioning themselves for Saudi and the Saudi market is so potentially huge that it will be a game changer for the industry as a whole. And last question, when you say a game changer for the industry, do you mean that um, very soon when I switch on my lights, it will be solar powered? Well, actually right now, no. Um, The key to any sort of energy is diversification. So the sun doesn't shine at night, the wind doesn't always blow, and right now you don't have cost-efficient energy storage systems. 
So you'll never fully have 100% renewable energy based on solar power. Iceland has geothermal power, which is completely different, and they're 100% powered by renewables. But for now, until Elon Musk or any of the other uh, people in the rat race for energy storage systems, um, you can expect to still see some conventional power in with that. Okay, thanks for that, Leanne. Let's just talk about what's going to be going ahead for the next six months, if you don't mind, Mustafa. Just so that I've, um, I did a piece today on uh, the retail environment, which, of course, has been uh, in a very, let's say, a softer climate than uh, the year previously. Um, I did a piece for Shaloub Group uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were 2% down. Shaloub Group have uh, 40 brands. Uh, they have uh, a lot of luxury um, uh, outlets. And they were 2% down on the year, that's their sales. But they believed at the end of the year, they would be 6% up. They definitely see an uptick coming. And there's a new mall opened in Sharjah today. Uh, MAF uh, have announced a 30 billion dirham uh, expansion of city centers uh, in Egypt, Saudi, and a couple more in the UAE. Uh, Retail, regardless of the, the economic climate, people are still backing it in the UAE and the wider region, which has to be, uh, one presumes, as an economic indicator, a very positive environment to be in. You're right. And and, and, and perhaps it goes back to the discussion we we're having a little bit earlier that um, given uncertainty, you stick with what you know. And they know retail works and it has been working and they know that there's an appetite for it. So why hold off? Just keep going. Because ultimately, we don't really have a choice, not just in that sector, but in every other sector. We have to keep going because development of this economy is really the only way forward. We can't pause. So whether it's government or corporate or the individual investor, whatever sector might be, property, retail, elsewhere, I think we're on a, we're kind of, there's a, a certain amount of momentum that we have to keep sustaining. Because if it all stops then we're not really sure how we can all get it started again. So by the end of the year, there is this feeling that people will just get on with it, regardless of what some of the, 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 the mitigating circumstances might be. So you think we just need the bigger players to keep the plate spinning and the rest of us will keep going? And, and, and governments in the UAE and elsewhere in the region have indicated that they will just keep, they'll keep the taps going. May not be, you know, uh, fully turned on, but there will be there will be money coming through. Okay, well on that note, we'll leave you have a fantastic Eid holiday and we we'll look forward to listening to you next week.